0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I'm going to begin this morning invoking the wise words of the great Lakota medicine man, Black Elk. In the old days, all our power came to us from the sacred hoop of the nation. And so long as the hoop was unbroken, the people flourished. Everything the power of the world does is done in a circle. The sky is round, and I have heard that the earth is round like a ball. And so are the stars. The wind in its greatest power whirls. Birds make their nest in circles, for theirs is the same religion as ours. The sun comes forth and goes down again in a circle. The moon does the same. Even the seasons form a great circle, and they're changing and always coming back again to where they were. The life of a man is a circle, from childhood to childhood. And so it is with everything, where power moves. I am standing on sacred ground, my feet are planted in the very spot that great elders have stood and delivered prophetic messages that altered the course of their times. An intern minister's first sermon to their congregation is always intimidating. But surely this warrants special commendation following our senior minister, the Reverend Kim Crawford Harvey, is no small feat. Kim is a living legend in Unitarian Universalist circles and beyond. We are profoundly blessed by the spiritual leadership she brings to this pulpit. As I stand reverently in the footsteps of prophets like Ware, Reeb, Jackson, Meade, Kennedy, Zinn, and Greeley. The elder most on my heart today is Robert Holler. Born into the Great Depression, Bob grew up a wicked smart, and desperately poor kid in the South End. By the time he was a teenager, his father's alcoholism had torn apart the family and forced Bob into the role of breadwinner, hawking newspapers on Mass Ave. It was around the same time that Bob joined the youth group at Arlington Street Church. This community took him in and ignited his lifelong passion for social justice. When he was 34 years old, Bob was named the first lay minister here at Arlington Street. He stood in this very spot and stirred the congregation to action on civil rights and ending the war in Vietnam. He marched on Selma in 1965, and later raised the funds that allowed his best friend, filmmaker Henry Hampton, to produce the iconic Eyes on the Prize documentary series. In 1969, Bob staged a sit-in and hunger strike at the headquarters of the Unitarian Universalist Association to protest investments and companies doing business with the Defense Department. Six days later, the association agreed to divest almost a $1 million of war-tainted assets from their portfolio. Providence smiled on me when I met Bob Holler 15 years ago. I had just moved to Boston was at the start of a graduate school program and was elated to be taken on as the intern of such a tremendous mentor. Sounds fairly reminiscent of my life right now, doesn't it? It's funny how our journey sometimes expands in concentric circles. My tenure at the Melville Charitable Trust Bob taught me volumes about social movements, leadership, and politics. But his greatest gift was introducing me to this faith tradition. Before Bob, I never knew that Unitarian Universalists existed and that I was one of them. His eyes lit up as he directed me straight to Arlington Street Church and changed my life forever. Anguish weighs heavily on me to stand here in Bob's footprints and acknowledge that he didn't live to see this profound moment. When Bob's heart gave out suddenly in June of 2011, the esteemed Reverend Jack Mendelson returned to this pulpit to memorialize the tremendous life and contributions of his friend and colleague. I flew up for the service and took my place in the full sanctuary right about there. The memory is crystal clear, because that is the moment that inspiration first beckoned as my call to Unitarian Universalist ministry. It is extraordinarily poignant for me to stand on this sacred ground and preach my first sermon as the intern minister at Arlington Street Church. Today, Bob's investment in me has come full circle. Everything the power of the world does is done in a circle. I recently heard Krista Tippett tell an amazing story about finding completion and coming full circle. Tippett is the creator and host of the NPR show, On Being. If you remember only one thing from this sermon today, let it be my fervent recommendation that you check out On Being and consider incorporating this weekly broadcast into your spiritual practice. From the moth stage, Tippett describes her grandfather, the Reverend Calvin Titus Perkins, as a larger-than-life figure fraught with contradictions. He was stern and strict in the ways of a Southern Baptist preacher, but also funny and playful as her gaggy. Reverend Perkins lived by ironclad rules designed to protect him from the temptations of sin, drinking, smoking, playing cards, dancing, swimming, going to the movies, were all out of the question. When Tippett left Oklahoma to attend Brown University, she began to question the evangelical world of her childhood. Attempts to engage her grandfather on questions of faith left her angry and appalled, and Tippett declared herself done with his religion. She became immersed in politics and spent her 20s living in divided Berlin. Tippett resisted the Cold War's uncompromising distinctions of good and evil as determined by one's vicinity to the wall. She instead found herself wanting to explore questions like, why are we here? What are we to each other? What makes for a worthy life? With reluctance, she eventually acknowledged that these questions compelled theological exploration. If Tippett was going to return to religion she knew that she needed a faith big enough to accommodate mystics, poets, quantum physicists, and the complexities of modern life. I wish I could tell you that at this pivotal moment she met Bob Holer and became a Unitarian Universalist. But alas, she did enroll at Yale Divinity School and found that the study of theology led straight back to her grandfather. For Tippett, everything about who God is and what it means to be religious was fused with gaggy. Not his rules, but the essence and the fullness of who he had been. From the moment she brought her animating questions to the airwaves, Tippett felt a spiritual kinship with her grandfather. She was asking questions with and for Gaggy, questions this country preacher could never have asked. But she knew that Gaggy would not have given his blessing to this endeavor. He was a staunch believer that only Southern Baptists were going to heaven. Even the Methodist didn't stand a chance in Gaggy's theology. He would never have been comfortable with the procession of Buddhists, Jews, Muslims, atheists, and others coming through her studio. In Tippett's memoir, Speaking of Faith, She writes extensively about the spiritual influence of her grandfather. She recounts drafting a whimsical passage, imagining Gaggy a teetotaler for all of his 90 years, raising a glass of champagne and toasting her from the beyond. She cut this section early in the editing process, fearing that such fanciful writing could erode her credibility. As she was finishing the book, Tippett attended a writer's retreat on the west coast of Ireland. Over breakfast, the other writers would recount their adventures, visiting the local woman who read stones, and marvel at her incredible insights. Tippett was skeptical and somewhat blasé about such an outing, but finally gave in to their coaxing. She soon found herself sitting in the home of Mary Madison with her bare feet in a bowl of stones from the Irish coast. Without even asking her name, Mary launched into exquisite descriptions of her children, her work, and her life. After that, she started to describe a gentleman that she was seeing. It was, you guessed it, Gaggy. Mary tells her, he's proud of you. He's not as serious as he looks. I think he was pretty stern in his lifetime. He must have had a lot of rules. He realizes now that he was even too strict with himself. He realizes now that we can become closed-minded, when we could be investigating. At the end, Mary added, he's raising a glass to you. He's toasting you. Tippett concludes her story by saying, I don't know what happened in Mary Madison's house that day. I don't know what she taps into It is in that realm of mystery for me, which I honor. I do know that since that day, I have felt I have my grandfather's blessing, and he has mine. Everything the power of the world does is done in a circle. Black Elk and the Lakota Nation offer a beautiful example of people living their theology. Knowing that they draw power and meaning from sacred circles, the Lakota build round homes, dance in ceremony to the sun, and center communities around a tree of life. How might the power of circles speak to your life? Are there moments of completion to be honored? Perhaps places where the sacred hoop requires mending? As a spiritual community, how do we hold a circle that remains both unbroken and open? My prayer this morning is one of gratitude for this miraculous and profound full circle moment in my life. I am imagining Bob and Gaggy offering a toast to us all in celebration this morning. Thank you for welcoming me to this sacred ground. I also lift up the Lakota and indigenous peoples across the globe. May we learn from their great wisdom to name our sources of meaning and tap into the power of living in harmony, connection, and wholeness to what is sacred in our lives. Blessed be. And amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website ASCBoston.org.